Proverbs chapter 3. I did, just so you know, I'm not hard-hearted. When I looked at my clock this morning and saw I'd gone for an hour, I felt a little bad. But then I realized how much Melissa needed the preaching, and so I didn't feel so bad after that. Right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Proverbs 3. So we're moving along in Proverbs. We'll take a little break the next two weeks, because we'll have art teaching next Sunday night. And then we will be um, doing our fellowship meal the next week on the Reformation Day. So we'll take two weeks off and then come back to Proverbs after that. The first, I believe it would be the first Sunday of November, right? We'll be continuing on. So Proverbs chapter 3, and let's look at verses 1 through 10. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck, write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel, and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance. With the first fruits of all thine increase, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, bless your word tonight. May we be humbled by it, receptive to it, Lord, and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're moving into portions of the book of Proverbs that don't have long-running narrative, like we had in chapter 1 and chapter 2. We kind of had a story in those two chapters. Now we're moving into chapters that kind of just cover different topics of wisdom. So we're going to kind of, as we go through chapters, take chunks of verses and we're going to just kind of draw wisdom from those chapters. As we get to the narrative chapters again, they do pop up here and there. We'll kind of follow the narration. But for these, we're just going to kind of draw some truths from uh, from the chapters. So uh, this chapter has some like 35 verses in it, and so we're going to take uh, the first 10 tonight, and then probably another 10 or so uh, the next time we're in here, and then just kind of take it in chunks and draw wisdom from it. So verse number one, my son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. We have again as an ongoing theme, uh, the admonition to not forget the law. Why does Solomon keep repeating himself? Because it's so easy to forget the law. It's so easy to fall into complacency. It's so easy to be run away. And so he's emphasizing and emphasizing and re-emphasizing. I remember um, in school, I was uh, in drama, and we would do plays. And, uh, you know, being teenagers, we were kind of shy in front of perform. And so what our teacher would do when we're practicing the play is they'd tell us, when you talk, talk to the back row. And as you do this, do it this way, and talk to the back row. When you do this, do it this way, and then talk to the back row. Why did they keep saying talk to the back row? So we understood, talk to the back row. Because we tended to get quiet, shy. Tended to maybe be loud here and then kind of get quiet over here, right? So they re-emphasized and re-emphasized and re-emphasized. I was in sports in school and played football and basketball. And it was the fundamentals, the fundamentals, the fundamentals. Why? Because that's what matters in game time is the fundamentals. If you don't get the fundamentals of the game down, 
you're not going to win the game, right? You're not going to perform right. So we don't spend all of our time on dunking and fancy shots and through the legs, over the shoulder, right? We Fundamentals. Why? Because they wanted to hammer into us the fundamentals of the game so that when that time came, we knew what to do. Solomon is trying to hammer into his son this truth. Don't stray from the path. Don't stray from the path. There's many temptations to stray from the path. There's many temptations to go to the world, right? Keep on the path of wisdom. Remember the commandments of God. Remember the law of God. Don't stray from them. My kids probably think that when we read the Bible, we read the same things over and over and over again. You know why? Because I want them to understand those things. I want them to remember. I want it into their minds so that when that temptation comes, that trial comes, that verse comes to mind, that concept comes to mind. So we repeat and we repeat and we repeat over and over again. We see it many times in books like Hebrews, right? What's, we talked about last night at the Bible uh, question and answer. What's Hebrews about? Don't go back. Don't go back. Don't go back. There's no salvation there. Press on. Don't draw back. If any man draw back, my soul is no place. Don't go back. Don't, why? Because there was a real temptation to go back. So over and over and over again, the writer of the book of Hebrews is, is repeating himself. Don't do it. What we have is better. Christ is better than the temple, better than the sacrifice, better than the angels, better than Moses, better than the law. What we have is better than what they have. So don't go back to them because we have something better over and over, that repetitive nature, right? We have it in the Old Testament here as well. There's a real danger to being drawn away. There's a real danger to straying. Don't forget the doctrine and teaching of Christ. Let your heart keep the commandments. This means to keep the commandments from the heart. That's what he's saying. When he says, uh, verse, verse 1, uh, but let thine heart keep my commandments, what he's saying is essentially, from your heart, keep my commandments. From the heart. We are constantly being reminded of the Bible. From the heart. From the heart. From out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Keep your heart with all diligence, right? We are to serve. We say, why do you say so often to serve Christ from the heart? Because it's so easy to fall into this ritualism where we don't keep it from the heart. We're just doing the outward forms. It's so easy, right? It goes back again to uh, Revelation 2 and, and Ephesus. A great church on the outside did all the right things, right? But their heart was not right with God. They had left their first love. And I would venture to say that when Christ told them that, they may have been a little surprised. They didn't even realize. They didn't realize that it, it had no longer been from the heart. It was all outward externals. If we're not careful, it's so easy to convince ourselves as long as we're doing the right things, we're right with God. It's so easy to give in to the externals. He's warning his son, keep the commandments from the heart. Make sure your heart is right. Make sure you're doing this for the right reasons or else you're going to fall into this complacency where you just, you just start doing and then you feel, well, I'm doing everything I'm sh I should do, so I'm right with God. And then what happens? Your heart begins to stray. Your heart begins to stray. Why? Because you were never, or you stop doing it from the heart and you begin to do the externals. And what's going to happen then? The externals will follow. Then you'll fade away off the path. You'll no longer be in the church. You no longer even outwardly follow the Lord. Everybody who's ever backslid, right? Everybody who's ever walked away from the Lord didn't do it overnight in a vacuum. There was a time when their heart strayed, but their body was still doing. The outward was still there, and no one knew the danger they were facing. 
No one knew that, hey, their heart is not right with God. No one understood that. Because the outward, it's so easy to trick people. I could fool Reuben all day long with externals. If I know the right words, if I dress the right way, I could be completely lost and convinced that I'm a Christian by the things I do and say. Right? But we can't fool God. But Reuben can't see the heart. I can't see your heart. You could be sitting here right now, and I'd say, man, Melissa's in church Sunday night. Every Sunday night, what a, what a godly young lady. And the whole time, she's sitting here, just her mind's just wandering. She's not even thinking about what's being said. She couldn't tell you tomorrow what I talked about, right? She's thinking about what she's going to do tomorrow evening with her friends. I never know what she's thinking. I can never know if Carmen is here because she loves Christ or if Carmen is here because this is where she goes on Sunday night. It's a, it, it's a habit for her. I can never know that because we only judge by the outside, but God judges the heart. And so Solomon's warning his son, make sure it's from the heart. Because if you let the heart stray, I should say this, if you, if you, if you fall into mere external obedience, you will let your heart stray. Because you'll convince yourself, I'm okay. I'm okay. I mean, after all, I'm doing this. After all, I'm doing this. Amy and I, well, Amy was talking to somebody one time. And uh, we don't believe they're Christians, but they are professing Christians. And this person asked Amy one time, do you believe that we're saved? I believe her answer was no. And this person's first response was not, but I love Christ. How can I not be saved? Christ died for my sins. I rest in, in Christ. The answer was, but we do so much for God. We do so much. And so this person who has no real heart for Christ, no real love for Christ, no real change in their life, that the gospel has wrought to their life, but because they're doing so much ministry, well, of course I'm right with God. Look at what I'm doing. Well, now you're in the same position as the people in Matthew 7, right? Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We did mighty works. These were active people who had works to say, Christ, how can we not know you? We do all this stuff for you. But their hearts were far from him. Their hearts didn't know him. And so he's trying to really hammer into his son here. Do it from the heart. Do not fall to externals. Listen, church, if you feel your heart slipping from Christ, address it right away. Don't go on hoping it'll get better. Because you'll fall into external obedience and ensure yourself, I'm okay, I go to church still. I'm at all the services. I go to outreach. I do all this stuff. I must be okay. Don't trust the heart. Don't trust your outward obedience. Look to the Spirit of God. Make sure that what you're doing, you're doing out of love for Christ. If our obedience to Christ is merely outward formality, then our chance of straying from the path is great. Verse 2. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. I want to remind you at this point uh, that Proverbs are not necessarily promises. Okay? They are general principles. I feel this is an important time to bring this up because... Um, Somebody may look at this and go, oh, a length of days and long life and peace shall they add to you. Well, 
my mother died young, and she was godly. I guess the promises of God aren't true. Proverbs aren't promises. They're general principles that are generally true, okay? Um, there are exceptions. Let me give you a couple examples. Turn to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, verse 6. This is a, a famous one. Train up a child the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. There we go. I guess every person who strays from the faith proves their parents were ungodly in how they raised them. Of course not. I've seen godly people raise very ungodly children. But this is generally too true. Generally, children brought up, right, trained up in the Lord, are going to follow the path of the Lord. But it's not a guarantee. It's not a promise, okay? Uh, go to Proverbs 16, verse 7. I'll give you another one. Proverbs 16, verse 7. The Bible says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, if that were a promise, I think it'd be a powerful statement about the Apostle Paul, wouldn't it? I guess his ways didn't please the Lord because his enemies cut his head off. How about Jesus? He was crucified by his enemies. If this is a promise, then did, can we ascertain that Jesus' ways didn't please the Lord? course not. This is a general principle. That's generally true, but there are exceptions, right? So remaining in the land was a promise to ancient Israel that kept God's covenant. Uh, this gets abused a lot, so we need to understand the scripture properly. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6 with me. I'll give you another example. Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. So the command is for children, and the context is young children under their parents' authority. Some controlling parents, I think we talked about this last night, some controlling parents try to apply this to adult children, right? Like their adult children need to continually obey them if they're to be godly. That's not what the Bible teaches, okay? Uh, there's a certain point where we move from obeying to honoring our parents, right? Uh, as a grown man, I'm not obligated to obey my dad. You know, so I tell my dad, uh, call the pastor of First Baptist Church, and he calls me up and goes, you can't do that. You need to stay where you're at. I, I, I'm not obligated biblically to say, okay, Dad, I'll do what you say, because you know, I'm 41 years old. You know, There's a certain point where you stop obeying, but you still honor. You still honor your parents, right? We can hear advice from our parents and honor them by listening to their advice, maybe even taking their advice, but we're not under their authority. So Paul's giving commands to families, that includes commands for children to obey their parents in the Lord. Now this means... As long as the parents are not telling the kids to do something ungodly. Once again, I don't believe even a child under authority is obligated to obey an ungodly parent who commands them to disobey the Lord. Okay? They're to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. Christ is our 
supreme leader. He is our master. If an authority figure over us commands us to do something that violates the law of Christ, we obey Christ. We don't obey that authority. Let's just lay that out there right away, because that can also be abused. He goes on to verse 2 to give us the basis for this obedience. It's rooted in the law of God. He tells them to honor their father and mother. This is the fifth commandment. So he says, obey your parents in the Lord. And that's rooted in the command to honor your father and mother, which is the first command that came with a promise. I've seen people use this passage and apply that, or imply that there are children who don't obey them. God's going to kill them. Because they disobeyed the parents. See, children, obey your parents. If you disobey me, God's going to kill you because you didn't obey. That's not what Paul's saying. That's not what the scripture says. Or even go so far as to tell their adult children, if you don't obey what I say, then God's going to shorten your life. Okay? Context. Context. We have to understand context. First of all, this promise does not extend to us today. Paul is merely pointing out the importance of this command in the sight of God when he says it came with a promise. He says, honor your father and mother. This is the first command with a promise. So he's not saying the promise applies to these children. He's just pointing out the importance of that command to God. It came with a promise. It was the first one to come with a promise. Okay? Look at verse 3. That it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. So in verse 2, he mentions that the first commandment with a promise... Right, demonstrating its importance to the sight of God. Then in verse 3, he's merely repeating the promise. The promise was that they would dwell in the land and have long life. It was not a promise that they would exceed normal lifespan or that they were even guaranteed old age. Okay, 1 Kings 21. Naboth is killed for his vineyard. Should we then assume that Naboth disobeyed his parents? Of course not. The Bible gives us no inclination that he did anything wrong, right? He was murdered. He was a victim, right? So if the promise was everyone who honored the parents was guaranteed long life, the promise failed for Naboth. How about Uriah the Hittite? We see no evidence in Scripture that he was disobedient to God in any way. He seems to be a very honorable man, in fact. When David told him to go home to his wife, what did he say? Well, how can I go to home with my wife? When the men are out there fighting. And he slept at David's doorstep. He was a very honorable man. Does his death prove that God's promises are not? No, not at all. Their promise of long life was not that they would exceed normal lifespans. The promise was that they would not get caught up in sin that would shorten their life. Or, under Old Testament law, they could face civil penalties leading to the death penalty for dishonoring their parents. So he's promising them a good long life. In other words, it's not going to be cut short because of sin. That's what he's talking about. So as far as verse 2 goes, it's generally true that if we don't forget God's law and we hide his commandments with us, that they will add length to our life and peace to our life. Not because God's promising us, if you obey the scriptures, you're going to live to be 100 years old, but that you're not going to get caught up in sin that will shorten your life. You will not come into judgment for sin. That's what, he's, that's what he's giving. It's a general principle. Generally, those who follow the law of God and walk with the Lord live more peaceably and longer than those who don't because their lives are not cut short by sin. Verse 3 and 4. Oh, go back to our text. I'm sorry. Go back to our text. Verse 3 and 4 of our text. Proverbs 3, 3 and 4. 
Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck and write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Toward it another way, don't forsake mercy and truth. Mercy toward other people should be a distinguishing mark of a Christian. We should relieve the poor. We should meet the physical needs of others. We should be a merciful people if we're Christians. We should be kind, compassionate people. We should pray for others, offer compassion and support in their time of need. Mercy should be our first reaction when we're offended by somebody else. When they hurt our feelings, when they make us mad, mercy should be our go-to reaction. Not anger, not bitterness, not resentment. Mercy. Mercy. We should be quick to offer forgiveness. Truth is the other thing not to be forsaken. We are people of truth as we follow the God who is truth. Uh, You and I, if we're saved, we love and believe the truth. John 14, 6. Jesus said, what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. So you and I, we are not the truth. We can tell the truth. We can believe the truth. But we are not the truth. Jesus in his embodiment is the embodiment of truth. Truth is who he is. Right? Just like holiness, right? We can be holy, we, but our holiness doesn't stem from us. It stems from him. He is holy in his inner being. He is eternal. We are not eternal. We exist because he allows us to exist. He exists completely independent of anything outside of himself. So he is truth itself. If we are lovers of Jesus, we should be lovers of truth. We should be truth tellers. The Bible tells us. Uh, let, let me make it a little bit more personal. This applies to Facebook as well. This applies to all social media. I'm amazed how many Christians would sit in a service like this, and I could talk about truth, and they'll say, amen, 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 and then they go lie on Facebook or social media of some kind. We should be truth tellers. By the way, When we sing, we should be truth singers. Jabron McGee always said, Christians don't tell lies, they sing lies. (laughs) Because we sing songs about surrender to Christ we have no intention of doing. Jabron McGee, he he was telling one time a story. He's pastoring in Los Angeles here. They're singing the song, he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. And a lady came up after the service and said, she goes, I've been lying every time I sing that song. I'm not even Christian. I've been, I've been coming to church and, and singing the songs and doing all that, but I'm not even a, He doesn't walk or talk with me. Right? We, shouldn't, we should be truth singers, truth tellers. This applies to social media. Before you share something on social media, make sure it's real. Make sure it's true. Fake news should never come from a Christian. I heard it jokingly said one time, Christians can't tell lies if they can share them on social media. We saw someone just the other day, a friend of ours, posted something that was entirely untrue. It was, it was a political thing. It was, it, was, it was an untrue thing. Very couple of minutes of research, you're able to find out that it wasn't true. Someone points out to them, this isn't true. Now, in my mind, the thing to do is take it down. And he goes, well, the, 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 the principle is true. They're really bad people, so I'm going to leave that doesn't matter if the principle, 
what you said isn't true. We should not be people who are telling lies. We should tell the truth. I remember one time years ago, uh, we made some friends at a street bridging conference. And I don't know who they are, their names now. They're from Oregon, I think. And uh, we became friends on social media. And uh, I, there's been this social media meme going around for a long time. It's political in nature. And I shared it. And I put, as the caption, I put, this, is, this isn't true. And Christians need to stop sharing stuff like this because the world looks at it and sees that we're, t- we're, t- we're telling lies. How are they going to believe us with the gospel if we're telling lies? And that person liked it. I went back an hour later, they, they didn't like it anymore. That's strange. So I went to their page, they'd unfriended us. They're more loyal to their side of the political argument than to the fact that this wasn't true. This isn't how we, this isn't how we progress political arguments by lying. Let the world do that, but we're held to a higher standard. We should be truth tellers, even on social media. Don't share stuff that's not true. Investigate before you share. If someone finds something you share, they say this isn't true, then take it down. Repent. But I see it over and over again. I'll see, I'll see people all the time, uh, pro-life people or abolitionist people, and they'll share false things about abortion on Facebook. And listen, I'm with you. I'm against abortion. But when, they, when, 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 the, when the unsaved world looks at that, and they say, see, it's all lies. Look, that's not even true. We don't want to give them ammunition to say, oh, we can't trust them. They're lying. Be a truth teller. Even if it hurts, be a truth teller. When you speak, be confident what you're saying is true. If it's not, then don't say it. One of the reasons that gossip is so terrible, a sin, because most of the time it's not true. Most of the time we're either hearing part of the story or a story with facts have been twisted by the point of view of the person telling it. Most gossip you hear isn't true in the first place. Or it's been so diluted and and twisted that it's no longer true at all. Take mercy and truth, he says, and bind them on your neck. Wear them everywhere you go. Display for all to see. Write them on the table of your heart. In other words, purpose in your heart to live and speak the truth. It's one of the things I get so frustrated with in Christianity. That's so why if you've if you paid attention to my sermons at all, I'm just not a big politics guy. Because politics demands allegiance, doesn't it? There's this party or this party. That's, 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 be careful with that. Because we're somewhere over here. We're Christians. And if, 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 if this is our party over here, and they're doing something ungodly or untrue, we're to eschew that. We're not to take part in it. I don't believe, it just comes back to being a Calvinist, I guess. I believe that God has ordained who is going to rule over nations. He puts down whom he will, he raises up. The Bible is very clear on this. So I, I, when I go to vote, I vote my principles. Because I'm not trying to get somebody elected because I don't, I don't know who God, I'm just going to vote my principles. I'm going to vote what I believe from the Bible to be true. I'm going to support my principles, stand my ground, and then God can choose whoever he wants to be the leader of the nation or the state or the uh, local election. God handles all of that. Let's stop compromising to try to win. Our goal is not to win. 
Our goal is to be faithful to what we believe. Stand firm our ground. I had a friend that's so compromised on the issue of abortion. I'm very, I'm very plain. I will not vote for any candidate, for any office that is for the murder of any babies whatsoever. No exceptions. That's my position. My friend was not. He was a hardcore Republican. That was God's party, he said. The party of righteousness. I said, but with these compromises, what are you going to do when the day comes that they put forward a completely pro-choice candidate? Well, I'm going to support them because that's our party. and they're, they're still closer to righteousness than the other guys are. That's dangerous. Pretty soon, the Republicans will have you guys voting for, for all pro-choice candidates. Stand your ground. If that means you don't vote, don't vote. But stand your ground. Be firm. Be principled. We don't have to worry about politics, church. We don't, have, we don't choose our leaders. All right, Democracy is kind of a, a myth. God chooses our leaders. Right? Do you, know why, do you know why Joe Biden's president? Because he stole, you know, because God ordained from the foundation of the world. Why was Donald Trump president? Because God ordained from the, why was Barack Obama president? Because God ordained from the foundation of the world. So when you share politics, when you share political things, be honest. Because these parties, they want your allegiance. You're with us. If you're with us, you've got to be totally against them. Or if you're with us, you've got to be totally, I'm with Christ. My allegiance is here. So I'll support someone from my party, right, within boundaries. But there are boundaries that I will not cross. There are boundaries I will not cross. Because my loyalty is not to you. My loyalty is to him. Be honest. Our loyalty is to the truth, and Christ is the truth. Speak the truth. Purpose in your heart to be a person of mercy, and then act on what's in your heart. By the way, I was, I was a boss at the hospital before I came here. And you know what I treasured most as a boss? If you've ever been a boss, and I'm sure Jason can understand what I'm talking about too. What I treasured the most was people who were so honest, so consistently, that I never had to question what they were saying to me, ever. That should be the mark of every Christian in the workplace. So honest, so reliable, so by the book. Remember Daniel? They tried to find stuff to accuse. They couldn't find anything to accuse him with. He did everything by the book. He didn't steal. He didn't lie. He didn't cheat. He didn't, he didn't lazy his way through his job. They had to go make stuff up and pass special laws about prayer to get Daniel because he was so honest in his dealings. That should be you and me. Honesty should mark the Christian life. Turn to Matthew 15. Matthew 15. He said in verse 3, let not, I'm reading from Proverbs 3, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee, bind them about thy neck, and write them upon the table of thine heart. Why is it so important to write them on our heart? Here's why. Matthew 15, 10. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth. This defileth a man. Drop down to verse 18. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. 
For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemy. Do you know why a person commits adultery? It's in their heart. Do you know why a person commits murder? It's in their heart. Do you know why people blaspheme? It's in their heart. It's in their heart. What comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. That's why he says, write it on your heart. So that way, what comes out of you is truth and mercy. Write those on, make those part of your heart, because that's where it's going to flow from. Not from the outward. Long before the action of sin has taken root in the heart, and only after it plants itself there and grows, does it blossom into action. Remember that. Long before sin ever comes to the surface of our actions, it plants itself in our heart and takes root. So what are we to do about that? Well, put on our spiritual gloves and start pulling it out by the roots. Don't give it a place in your heart. Don't give sin a place in your heart. Don't give it there because it's going to grow. It's going to fester and it's going to go to your outward actions. Before people backslide, before they fall away from the Lord, what happens? Their heart falls away. Like I said earlier, their body's still there. They appear to be serving Christ, but their heart has strayed. And eventually what they've planted and rooted down into their heart is going to come to the outward action. Long before a man cheats on his wife, he takes his heart away. He lets that fester and root into his heart, and it grows up into adultery, acted out on. That adultery that happened Friday night, that didn't start Friday night. That came from the heart. That had been rooted there for a while. He let that fester and grow. He nurtured it and grew it up until it finally couldn't be held inside anymore and came to the outside. So what does that mean? Well, it goes back to the Bible. Keep your heart with all diligence. We've got to be careful to make sure our hearts are right all the time. Make sure we're not nurturing evil thoughts, blasphemies, fornications, adulteries, all those things. Because if we let them get into our heart and get root, they're going to get out into our actions. Be careful about your heart. Go back to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. And by the way, if you're dealing with somebody, you have bitterness towards somebody. That bitterness you feel, or they feel towards you, that took root long before the action. Keep that in mind. Keep bitterness out of our hearts. You know, if I'm not bitter towards Gloria, if she were to offend me, we could still be friends. I could forgive her, or I could seek her forgiveness if I offended her. But if I keep a bitterness in my heart, what's going to happen that first time she offends me? Boy, it's going to, boy, I'm going to, yeah. It starts in the heart. If I keep a bitterness against my wife, that's going to cause trouble. But if I keep my heart clean from that, well, then we can communicate, we can apologize, we can get things right. So if discord happens in the church between church members, it didn't happen the day that it erupted. That was in the heart. Make sure you don't keep bitterness in your heart against anybody in here or out there. The heart's... Out of the heart comes all the issues of life. There's no room for bitterness, or bitterness will run our lives. 
That's just a side note. So what happens when we wear truth and mercy? We find favor with God and man. God loves merciful people. Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We find favor with God when we show mercy to those in need, because he shows mercy to those in need. He has shown mercy to us in our sins, and even throughout our lives, as we cry out to him, he shows us mercy. He hears and shows compassion on us. God loves truth from his people, right? We're going to be people of truth. James 3.1 tells us those who teach the word of God will be held to a stricter judgment. Why? Because they're handling the word of God and they are to do it truthfully. They are to do it diligently. Go to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. Let me show you how seriously God takes truth. Proverbs 6.16. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven, are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, an heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that sow discord among brethren. Did you catch that? A list of seven things the Lord hates, and dishonesty is two of the seven. A lying tongue and a false witness that speaketh lies. They narrowed down, he narrows down the list of seven things that he hates. His top seven, two of the seven are lying. Two of the seven deal with truth and honesty. Our God is a God of truth. He does not want anything less from his people. We're told to speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15. We're told to put away lying and speak truth with our neighbor, Ephesians 4.25. We're told to speak truth to one another, Zechariah 8.16. We're commanded not to bear false witness, Exodus 20, verse 16. Go back to Proverbs chapter 3. Where mercy and truth, it will bring favor not only with God, but with man as well. When the unsaved world sees our mercy and our forgiveness and our long-suffering spirit, they'll take note of that. It's different than how they operate. When they see us relieving the poor, helping others in need. This was a major thing in the early church. I think one time when I was candidating here, I read that about the early church, how the Christians helped one another out. If one of their number didn't have food, some of them would go, you know, one family would go a day without food to give that day's food to somebody who didn't have any food at all. And somebody else would go without food a different day to give that day's food to somebody else in need. And the unsaved world, the Roman historian I read from, he took note that they were not like the Romans. They shared with one another. They had compassion on one another. They went without that one of their brethren could, could have something that they needed. The world takes note of that. When you love and speak the truth, it'll win man's favor too. I mentioned before about work. I cherished an honest person. I had people working for me who I, I couldn't trust them any farther than I could throw them. And when they said something, every time they told me something, I went to the cameras to double check to see if they're telling me what they're telling me was true. And about 50% of the time, it wasn't true. I couldn't trust them. But there were people that worked for me. And they weren't Christians, but they were honest people. And when they said something to me, I, I, put, I staked my reputation on it. When the boss came and said, they said they were here at this time, but, but somebody said they, they weren't there on time. You know, I'm telling you, boss, they were there. I know they were there. How do you know? They told me. I believed them. All they ever tell me is the truth. He go check it out. Sure enough, there they were. 
I loved those people. And my boss, who was an unsaved man, he began to love those people. He be, I began to see him as he talked to his bosses about, you know, uh, got a complaint about this security guard or this security. Oh, well, he's always on top of his job. I, I, I'll, I'll see what happened, but I think they're lying because he's always doing it. In other words, he began to see the pattern that this person here is always telling the truth. They're always doing their job right. They're always, they're, they are reliable. He took note of that. People noticed that. We should be so honest that the world around us can't find anything to use against us, so they have to make it up. That's how honest we should be. Remember Jesus, little Jewish carpenter 2,000 years ago, had to bring false witnesses against him. He had nothing to accuse him of. He, he told the truth. He told the truth. Same thing for Paul. Same thing for Stephen. They just brought in false witnesses. Daniel, they had to make a whole law to try to get him because they couldn't, I mean, he's over an entire kingdom of Babylon and, and all the business affairs he's, he's over, they can't find anything to do. Anything, anything that he's done wrong. Joseph got locked up because he was falsely accused of rape. He was over the entire house of Potiphar. Potiphar didn't even know what he had to eat. Joseph was over everything. And he handled it honestly. I get discouraged in our world. I'll be honest with you. I find a, I've, I've done a lot of business with, you know, they're Christians, so I'm going, to, I'm going to choose them to do my work for me. And then they do a shoddy job, or, or, or they're dishonest, or they, they charge more. That should not be a Christian's example. We should be honest, hardworking, and true to what we say all the time. All the time. If you're back in Proverbs 3, look at verses 5 through 8. This is the most famous of the verses. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil, for it shall be health to thy navel, and marrow to thy bones. So these verses go together, so we'll take them as a group. These are probably the most famous ones in the entire book of Proverbs, actually. So let's look at it phrase by phrase. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Let's start with the most basic, right? Salvation. What, are we trust, what we are trusting in says a lot about our faith. When someone says they're trusting in a prayer they prayed or a commitment they made, that worries me. Don't trust in what you did. Trust in Christ. They're trained to say, well, I'm trusting Christ by trust through the prayer. That, no, no, no. Don't trust the other thing. Trust Christ. Right? Trust in the Lord. Can professions of faith be false? Yes. Can lost people pray too? Yes. So don't trust those things. Trust Christ. Christ alone is what we need to trust. When someone asks me, why am I saved? My answer is because I'm trusting in Christ. I'm trusting in Christ. I trust his righteousness, that he took my sin, that he gave me his righteousness before God. And by his merit, I'm saved. That's what I'm trusting in. His work alone. If I get to heaven and there's, they stop me in the gates and say, what, what, what gives you the right to come in here? The merits of Christ. If that's not good enough, I won't go. Because that's all I have to offer. That's all I have to claim. The merits of Christ. In life, finances, marriage, relationships, moving, jobs, church, I could go on. Every area of life, trust the Lord. Lean to the Lord to lead and to guide. Look to his word. Next phrase. 
Lean not unto thine own understanding. Why? Because my understanding isn't perfect. I don't always have the right answer. I don't know the future. I don't know all of the factors that could play into any given situation. Now, with all those faults I just told you, why would I lean to my own understanding? If I'm sometimes wrong, I don't know the future, I don't know all the factors that factor into any, any given situation, why would I trust myself now? Right? God does. He knows the future. He knows every factor that could play in. He's never wrong. Lean to him. Trust him. Next phrase. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he should direct thy path. In every way, every decision, every trial, every temptation, every moment of every day, keep Christ and his word at the foremost of your thoughts. He will direct our paths if we look to him. I make mistakes so often I don't trust myself. Uh, if I do something because I want to do it, I often panic. What if I'm making the wrong decision? What if I'm burning a bridge? What if this isn't the right thing? Oh, no. I'm given to worry and anxiety. You know why? Because I'm just trying to guess if this is the right thing for me. But if I make every decision based on clear leading from the Lord, now there's peace. Because I can clearly say that without a doubt, this and this and this and this proved to me the Lord is leading this direction. Now the pressure's off. Because it's not my decision. It's the Lord leading. And he's not going to lead me wrong. So if it all falls apart, that was his plan all along, I can still rest and trust in him. Next phrase. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Don't act and live independently of God. So many Christians today don't seek the Lord. They go to church that they go to because it appeals to them. The music, the preaching, the way it's decorated. This, it suits them, so they go there. When it no longer suits them, they go somewhere else. They buy a house based on what they want. They buy a car based on what they want. They work at a job because it's what they want to do. And they give very little thought to the Lord. Is this where the Lord has me to work? Is this where the Lord has me to live? Is this the car the Lord has me to drive? Do they go to the Lord? What church should I go to, Lord? Direct me there. Lead my... They don't look to the... They just look to their own understanding and all their decisions. Say, Pastor, do you go to the Lord for everything? I tried to. I've told the story here before how we bought our car. It was of the Lord. We almost bought the wrong car. And then I prayed. Said, Lord, show us the right car. Sat down, got online, first car popped up, and we knew it. When we sat in the car, we knew it. We couldn't explain it, but this was the Lord's leading. We bought our house. We bought our house. We had, it, it didn't meet any requirements that we had for a house. It didn't check off any list that we had. For, you don't want to know how much I hate the heat, right? It didn't even have an air conditioning, okay? It had nothing. And we put an offer on it. I don't know why we put an offer on it. We, I, we, I, probably, I regret it afterwards. I remember that. We started looking at other houses. The more we're looking at other houses, that, that offer was accepted. But you know what? We didn't know that two years later, we'd be taking care of my mom in the home. And that no other home we looked at would have worked for that situation like our current house worked for that situation. But God knew two years later what was coming. So we, we, we bought a house not knowing why, but we felt compelled that this is the house we need to buy. That was the Lord leading. Coming here, same thing. 
there was so a trail that we could look at and say, God is opening this door. If I had sent out resumes to 50 churches and then went to 50 churches to candidate, and I would have been a nervous wreck thinking, is this the right thing? Should we leave? Should we uproot our family? Is this, what if this doesn't work out? But we're confident. This is what God has directed us to do. There's peace in that. So yes, the car we drive, the place we live, the place we work, God directs us there. I was at my last, not this last job, the job before this one. I hated that job. I stayed there for 11 months. You know why? Because God didn't tell me to leave. Then one day, this other hospital finds my resume online, calls me up, says, hey, are you interested in a position? I said, let me go interview. This might be the Lord leading me. And it was. I stayed at a job I hated just because I don't want to jump job to job. I don't want to burn a bridge and make a mistake. I want to follow the Lord's leading. That's why. Why did I stay in a town that I hate so much for so long? Because God hadn't told me to leave. I was not obligated or was not permitted to leave until He directed me to leave. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't live independently from God. I'm going to share with you. I'm low on time. I'm going to share with you the most important verse of the Christian life. Write this down. You don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to. 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. That's the most important two verses in the Christian life. In those verses, Paul says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You and I are simply soldiers under orders. You've heard this from me before. What man joins the army and then tells the army where he's going to live? Doesn't happen. You go where they tell you to go. I don't want to go into the war. <laughs> I want to go live in Hawaii. Good luck. You're going to war. You know why? You're a soldier under orders. They tell you where to live, how to breathe, what to wear. You and I, if we're Christians, we are soldiers under orders. I don't have the right to pick up and go live in Idaho. I hear it's beautiful. I hear a lot of Republicans are fleeing there. I don't have that right. You know why? I'm a soldier under orders. I go where he tells me to go. I live where he tells me to live. I serve where he tells me to serve. Too many Christians lean to their own understanding and they live their lives independently of God, make their decisions independently of God, and they do what appeals to them. Listen, we are soldiers for the Lord. We are under his command, his orders until we die. So if he tells you to do it, do it. But if he hasn't spoken, stay where you're at. Do what you, I don't like my job. Stay there. Has God told you to leave? No, then stay there. I don't like where I live. Fine. Has God opened the door for you to leave? No, then stay there. We're under orders. Say, our new pastor's ugly. Has God sent you to a new church yet? No, then stay here. Endure it. My wife has to see it every day. Listen, we would, we would simplify the Christian life so much if we just grasped that we are soldiers under the command of Christ. Our lives belong to him and him alone. Now let's live that way. So many Christians would say amen to that and then they live independent of him. No, we don't have that right. We go to him for everything. Lord, what should I do? What should I buy? Should I take this job? Should I leave my job? Should I buy this house? Should I buy this car? Say why? 
because we're his soldiers. He has final say. And you'll never make a mistake submitting your life to Christ because he'll never make a mistake. I'm trying to get through the rest of this real quickly here. We should lean to the Lord for every decision in life. We should seek the Lord for our needs. Don't live separate from God. God needs to be more than he is. To most Christians today, God is a mystical figure, the invisible daddy in the sky, who they come and raise hands and worship on Sunday morning. He's real. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He's alive today in a human body, seated in heaven, on a throne, overseeing this universe. Don't live your life separate. He's not some mystical thought. We're not, we're not, we're not into, into, into Eastern or mysticism here. He's real. He's a person. Just like you and I. He has a physical body like you and I, an eternal resurrected body, but a physical body. Next phrase, fear the Lord, depart from evil. To, to fear the Lord is to reverence and respect him. It would mean to look to him for everything and trust him. Depart from evil means the evil of self-conceit and self-trust. Next, it should be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. This speaks of the physical health of those who trust in the Lord for everything they have. They will not experience stress or anxiety that the world has. It is literally health to our bodies to rest and trust in the Lord. It's not a promise. It's not a promise that every ailment will go away. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying generally we will be healthier than those in the world because we don't have the stress and anxiety that they have on them. I know of a professing Christian who after Barack Obama got elected president was so stressed she got put in the hospital almost died. I say professing Christian because that's not the peace that Christians should have. That's what the world does. Come on now. Verse 9 and 10, honor the Lord with thy substance, with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barn be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. We'll end on these verses. These deal with giving to the Lord. We honor the Lord when we give to him out of our substance. We honor him by expressing that we trust in him and not money. That's what giving does. Giving says with a loud voice, God, I trust you. Right? Well, how about the Macedonians in, 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 in 2, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 or 8? Eight, 8, I think it is. Where Paul says that they gave out of their poverty to help the Christians in Jerusalem. Out of their poverty. These weren't rich people. They weren't just taking money out of their, they had plenty of money in the bank. And then Paul says they gave more than they could afford to give. You know what the Macedonians did? They made a big statement. God, we trust you. We believe in you. And we believe your promises. When we give faithfully to the Lord, we're saying, God, I believe your promises. When we don't give faithfully to the Lord, we're calling God a liar. Because we're saying we don't trust that he's going to meet our needs. Or that we can meet our needs better than him. The first fruits of our increase. This speaks to the quality. God wants our best. Give the Lord the best of your time. Don't wait until you're falling asleep to seek the Lord. Give him the best of your time. The context here is money, but I'm, I'm expanding it a little ways. Give God the best that you have. If you're giving a couch to a person in need, and you've got two couches, give them the nicer one. You're giving to the Lord, not to the person. Give the best. You're giving away a car, and you got an, you're giving away a 1989 Toyota Corolla, and you've got a 2022, I, I shouldn't go here, should I? 
give them the 2022. I mean, what I'm saying is give the best if you're giving in the name of the Lord. Don't give your scraps. Don't, 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 don't give the scraps, the leftovers, and say, well, I'm helping. No. God wants the best. Everything we give is an offering to the Lord. We support missionaries. Our church exists because it's supported by people. As you give, the gospel goes forth in our community and on foreign fields. If you are here, if you're encouraged by the word, then give to support the work of the Lord. It expresses trust and confidence in God. God, I trust you. God, you're going to take care of me. God, I don't take care of myself. You take care of me. Your giving is not to me or to the deacon or to the ushers. Your giving is to the Lord. You know why Max Gray spends so many, so many hours here working on our property? He's not doing it for me. He's doing it for Christ. And Christ will reward him better than I ever could. When you drop money in the offering plate, you're not blessing the pastor. You're giving to the Lord. You're saying, Lord, I have confidence that you're going to meet my need. You're going to meet my need. It's his church, and the gospel is his work. The general principle is that you will be blessed. Now, we're not going to turn this into some word of faith moment. Your barns will be filled to the presses, and your, your bats will overrun the new That's what I'm saying. But there's a general principle. If we give faithfully to the Lord, he will bless us. Not so we become rich or comfortable, but so that we have more to give to his work. There's a general principle there. So we don't give to get from God. We don't give so we can get rich. Right? But we give to the Lord from a pure heart, looking to the Lord to supply us with more that we can give again. There's a neat, neat principle in, in Ephesians. It says, let him that stole steal no more, but let him work laboring with his own hands, and it doesn't say so that he can support himself and not steal anymore. It says that he may have to give to him that needeth. You and I, when we work, we should be working to give. Well, how am I going to take care of myself? Oh, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What things? What shall I wear? What shall I eat? What shall I drink? The necessities of life. God will take care of the necessities of life if we're with an open hand giving to him, supporting his work, giving to Christians in need. There's a general principle that we will be blessed if we are faithful in our giving. When we give faithfully, we honor the Lord. We can't take it with us. Understand that. We can't take it with us. And who knows if the person we're going to leave it to is going to be wise or foolish with it. So while it's in your hand, give to the Lord. Be free. Be free to support the gospel ministry. Give of your life while you have health and strength to give. Too many people are saying, well, I'll serve the Lord so much more when I'm old and retired. No. No. Give now. Your time, your strength, your youth, give it to Christ. 
The days may come where your health will limit your ability to come to church or go out and publicly share the gospel. Don't waste money frivolously. Don't waste youth and health frivolously. Summing up these verses, trust the Lord, obey the Lord. He'll bless, he'll guide, and he'll direct. Lean upon the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this evening time. The book of Proverbs again, Lord, what great truth that you give us, Lord. Help us, Lord. I pray that we'd be faithful in our giving, of course, but I'm more concerned with our lives. Oh, Lord, help us to grasp the truth that we're soldiers. We're under your command. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Help us to trust in you with all of our heart. Don't lean to our own understanding. No, 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 Lord. Not for the smallest thing. Not for the smallest thing. Because we're flawed. Mistake-riddled people. But you, (laughs) you are the all-knowing, sovereign God. Help us to trust you, Lord, for every detail of life. Help us not to live independently of you, but in total dependence upon your lordship and upon your guidance. We love you, Lord. We thank you for our time together today. What a great day in your house, Lord. I pray that many were blessed today, Lord. I pray that you'll bring us back again Wednesday night, ready to hear your word again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.